Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing? Yeah. Well, for those who do not know me, my name is Blake, and uh, I have the honor of just being up here with you guys and just sharing my heart. And uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has in store. And yeah, so we've been, for those who um, have been on this journey, we've been on a journey of uh, a year of discipleship, and I hope you guys have been enjoying it, been learning, growing, going deep. Um, and so what, for the first eight weeks, we were learning how to be with Jesus. So does everyone have a closer relationship with him now? Yeah? Yeah, we have some amazing, just um, powerful testimonies and teachings, and so hope you were encouraged. And um, so now, Chris, last week, brought a powerful word and um, kicked off on just our, I guess, our next, what, nine weeks of becoming like Jesus. So now that we get to be with him, now we get to uh, learn how to become him. And so uh, he spoke last week on, on our identity, and I have the uh, honor of sharing with you guys today on how to live a holy life. Y'all ready? Yeah. So um, we're going to start out up in the Bible, start right in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. And uh, if someone wants to share, so 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, first one there, raise your hand. And we're going to read out loud. Anybody? Let's go, bro. Let's go. Yes. So that is what we're going to be studying today. Um, and I think for me, when it comes to the word holiness and thinking of holy, I think sometimes we can think it's pretty intimidating. Maybe it's not. Um, as I was praying this morning, and I, I just felt like there may be some people in here that says that that's too far gone, like that word holy and becoming holy. Maybe that's not for you. Maybe for someone next to you. Um, but you may be in a place right now where you can't even see um, or feel like you can meet that expectation of being holy. But let me tell you something and some good news. We were never meant to meet an expectation to become holy. Jesus has already done that. And so that's what I want to encourage you today on uh, how we can actually live a holy life. And I want to take pressure and take expectation and weight off of you this morning. And I feel um, that as we continue that, by the time you leave, that I hope that uh, you will just become more aware of who Jesus is and what he's done um, and who you are in him. Amen? And so, God, I just thank you this morning. I thank you so much for, yeah, your goodness. I thank you for just making a way for us to become holy. And we just honor you this morning. We honor you. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, I think you're, you're with me. You're with everyone in here. Um, and let us just have a fun time just getting and diving into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think before we start, I think it's important that we define what holiness is. 
And uh, I think that's a good starting place to just lay some foundation on what that word means. So we're going to turn to, you can return to Leviticus 19, 1 through 2. What we just read in First Peter, this is actually where he gets this um, when it comes to be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So that word holy, it means kadash in the Greek. And it, what that means is that it's to be set apart, dedicated to sacred purposes. Holy, sacred, clean, pure. The verb kadash means to be set apart, to set apart something or someone for holy purposes. Holiness is a separation from everything profane and defiling. And at the same time, it is the dedication to everything holy and pure. So God is entirely holy in his nature, motives, thoughts, words, deeds, so that he is called kadash, the holy one. Everyone have a good understanding of what it means to be set apart? And that is what God is calling us to be and to do, is to be set apart. And so there's two really main things I want to speak to you guys about and dive into. And first, it's about our identity, and it's picking back off what Chris was sharing last week. I think that's just such an important part of just knowing who we are. Um, and then second, when it comes to living in holiness, how do we do this? How do we actually day by day, moment by moment, live in a place of holiness? And that's by God's spirit and his grace. And so um, the, the first point is we're going to talk about is positional holiness versus behavioral holiness. And I want to, it's not something that we choose. It's not something either or, but it's something that all becomes one and it becomes, uh, it's both. Does that make sense? And so uh, positional holiness, this is probably the most important part. If you don't hear anything I, I said, if you haven't heard the first five minutes of what I just spoke or the rest of this message, I really want you to hear this because without understanding who we are and who God's called us to be, everything else is going to be hard to identify with. And it's going to constantly be a struggle in our, our, our walk with the Lord um, and this back and forth of battle and sin this part of understanding who we are is such an important piece. So I really want you to hear me on this. So Ephesians 1, 4, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So even before he made the world, he loved us, he loved you, he chose you, each and every one in this room to be in Christ, not in Gabby or Blake, but in Christ and what he's done to be holy and without fault. So before we did anything, before we ever did, did anything good, before we ever did anything bad, we were already declared holy because of Jesus. And so um, without fault, this is what it means to be positional holiness. This is our position in Christ Jesus. So nothing that we could do, nothing that we could have done besides receiving Jesus, he's already declared as holy. That makes sense? So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to pick on, on uh, Gabby and Brooks. So y'all are married? Yep, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, y'all have been faking. So y'all married? Yep. Uh, yeah. How long y'all been married for? Three years. Yeah. So do you, are y'all any more married now than y'all were three years ago? No. Yep, you're, you're his, her husband, right? She's your wife. Yep. So what if I said I don't believe you and you're not married? Does that matter? No. Yep, doesn't matter what I say, because you're married. It's done, right? Nothing can take that away. No words, no action, right? Y'all are married. And that's how God sees us. He's chosen us, 
And so when the devil comes and says, or when some other one says, you're not holy, right? You're not a child of God. You're not who, it's like, well, that doesn't really matter because God already said I'm holy. And it's a contract, it's sacred, right? So it's something that can't be taken away from us. So that's positional holiness, okay? It doesn't matter what we say or what other people say. It's, you know, so it's who I am in Jesus, and that's all that happens, right? So the next thing is behavioral holiness. So we learned about positional. You're holy because that's who you are. It's who you are. It's part of your DNA now. So when Jesus, when you accepted Jesus in your heart, you accepted him, you believed in him, he cleansed you, he's washed you. Now all he sees, no matter what happens, is holiness and righteousness and purity and white covered in blood, right? So now there's this thing called behavior holiness. And we're going to piggyback back, right back to 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. And I'm going to read it again. So he says, this is what Peter says. So you must, everyone say must. Live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you as holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So notice the word must. It's not, Peter is, is, is saying something about our behavior. It's not optional, right? So now that we're holy and that he's declaring us, there's something that we must do because of who we are. Right? So our behavior, sorry, I'm good. My behavior, our behavior must reflect our position now. Okay? We're not the same person that we used to be when we came to Jesus. And now that we know who we are, there's some action that has to take place because of that. And so I'm going to go back to the Brooks and Gabby. Now that you're married, there's certain things that you must do right, to show people that you're married, to show each other that you love each other. So you can't, I hope you're not going around dating other girls right? You're not going around flirting with everybody, right? Because there's actions that must, you can't do the things that you once did, because now you're married, and there's, uh, there's that position, right, of being married as responsibility that must take place because you're married. And if that doesn't happen, just consequences that breaks intimacy, that breaks things, and, and, and that can break you apart, right? And so, again, our behavior must reflect our position, and it, again, it's not making you more married, more holy, but it's just because of I'm holy, that's who God's called me to be, or I'm married, so now these are the things I must walk in and must do, right? So, and this is the, this is the thing that can be, oh, now you're good, you can keep it, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the thing that must, that we have to understand. This is, this is something that we live out daily, and it's a sanctification process. You know, so there is that part where God says you're holy, right? So that's done. But then there's, so that's, that's it's, it's, we're fully and completely sanctified. We're made holy in Jesus. But then it's also true that God calls us to work out that sanctification process. And there's things where he's going to equip you. He's going to challenge you, right? There's things where we have to repent of and break free from as we continue to walk in this, not because, again, it's not coming from a place of I'm trying to um, earn anything, but it's because of who I am, okay? And this leads me to my, my next point is living in holiness is not anything done by what we do in our own strength, but it's by the power of his Holy Spirit and God's grace. And I said this before, but he, Jesus, he, when he died, he made, us, he made a way for us to be holy. He made a way for us to have intimacy with him and before, we were set apart from God because he is holy, and that's who he is. 
And we could not have that experience, that presence, that intimate relationship that God desired to have with us because of his holy nature. And so when Jesus came, he made us a way for us to be with him. And that's it. The holiness is a pathway to intimacy. And that's, that's the whole goal of anything that I want. I want more intimate, more pursuit of his holiness, of who he is. Um, and so I believe, just when it comes to my personal walk with the Lord, that it starts when it comes to pursuing holiness is with a humble and a broken heart before God. And, and it's, it's, again, it's a heart, of, a heart posture of saying, God, I, I repent, I surrender. And Blake mentioned this earlier, but it's this whole life, your whole life surrendering to you. And it's a day-by-day thing. And um, uh, holiness is a, this is something from, from my Bible, one of the footnotes, not to start it, it was a great picture. It says, holiness is most beautifully displayed in a broken and contrite spirit, one that is submitted to God, not arrogant or proud, but humble and moldable in God's hands. And so when we come with this kind of posture before the Lord, humble before him, saying, God, have your way. You know, if you come in with a heart that's pride and that's, um, that's just, that's almost like I can do this on my own, it's going to be hard for you to really experience what God has for you when it comes to holiness. Um, and so I want to talk about two things that, um, that really made an impact on my life when it came to just having this heart of repentance. Um, and uh, we have it on the screen, but it talks about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. And I'm going to talk to you the difference about these two. Um, and I'll share this some of my story in just a bit of really how it really made an impact on just walking with the Lord. And, um, yeah, it really changed and opened my eyes to, to his grace and his mercy. So um, Paul, he states to the Corinthians church, this is in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. It says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. So just a little back, back frame. So he's writing to the church. He's actually rejoicing in their heart to repent. Right, and um, he had to write this hard letter to them, and uh, it was one of repentance and, and coming to God. And so now this is what he says: I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry, in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading in salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. So what is sorrow of the world? What does that mean? Well, sorrow of the world, it focuses on us. It focuses on what are my consequences? What, am I going to be disqualified? Will I be judged? What will people think of me? Right? And so when we talk this on and turn that around and we say, God, we sorrow, what does that mean? It focuses on Jesus, on the heart of God. And it's like, I don't want to hurt the heart of God anymore. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. It doesn't matter. Yes, God, I deserve actually all the consequences. I deserve death. I deserve because of my sin, but now I look to you, and because of your mercy and your grace, I get to walk in freedom. I get to walk in holiness, and so his justice is fair, and it's true, and it's like just falling before his mercy of just having that heart again of just humbleness and having this heart of repentance, but I struggled with this for so long, and I've shared this, you know, probably many times of just some of my stories of just um, addiction and sexual lust and just the uh, overcoming the sin that was just a constant battle in my life from since, honestly, from before I was a Christian that carried on into um, my teenage years to into my marriage. And the biggest thing that 
there was just a lot of shame and guilt. I think before Christian, I didn't know any better. So, um, you know, I didn't have the concept of, you know, I didn't, I didn't care. So I didn't, I didn't feel that weight. I think after I became a Christian, that was actually really hard for me. And it was really hard for me to understand, again, my position in Christ. When I would read, talking about how I'm holy and clean, like my mind could not grasp that because I was in sin. And I was struggling with this time and time again. And, um, and so this was a few years ago, and I was just reading, again, about um, worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, he's so kind, but he was just teaching me really deep down in my heart, the reason I was just struggling and couldn't overcome this battle of sin in my life, um, where I would go months free and then all of a sudden just go right back into addiction and struggling. And um, I think the biggest thing that, that he was showing me was that the God, I, there was part of me where I was like, no, I want to do this because of God. But deep down, God knows the very deep things of our heart. And so he's so kind, he's so good, but he was saying, he, I was so worried also about being disqualified for ministry. I was so worried about um, what people would think, what my wife would think, right? What would it do to our marriage? What would it do to, and those are real things, right? But I was repenting because of those things, not because I was truly hurting the heart of God. And so he's showing me these things. And even, I, mean, I can remember this to this day, but this is in my darkest time that I can recall of just sin and just in my life and just depression, like Blake mentioned earlier, the struggle. This is what God did. So in my darkest, not after I repented, but in my darkest moments and what I was facing, God showed me his kindness, and that's when I learned my position in Christ and my position of holiness. So it wasn't after I repented that I was like, oh, I'm holy. No, no, it was actually in the moment where I could not see that God broke through. And it's a heart thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing that has to happen in your heart for you to be able to experience that. That makes sense? So it's in that darkest time where God says, no, I already called you as holy. And he's just encouraged me more to now go walk on because you're holy. You don't have to live this way anymore. And I got to experience his grace as power. Grace is not something that it is. It is for salvation, right? But there's an empowerment to learning how his grace can help set us free and how to live in his holiness. Um, and so I was learning all at the same time. This is not like, this kind of all was happening at once where I learned about true repentance. I was learning about my position in Christ and how to be holy, how to walk in freedom, how he sees me, and then how I see myself. It was all just kind of happening all at one time. He's revealing things to me. Um, and, but it wasn't really until I discovered the power of his grace, the power of true repentance, I was able to really truly set free and walk in holiness <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I love just the part, you know, God talks about how his kindness leads you to repentance. But again, it wasn't after I repented and was a year free that I'm learning his kindness and, and being holy. But it was in the moment where I'm struggling the most and can't find a way out that he's calling me out. And he's calling me to be holy and, and knowing who I am. And from that moment on, it was just like something awakened in me. And again, there's this sanctification process. There's healing has to take place. There's repentance, right? There's going to my wife, repenting. There's, going, there's doing things that are hard, but it, now I don't care about what I think about myself. I know who God sees me. I know he's called me um, to be holy, to live free. 
and, and so there's just, it's just all things that's happening at once. So again, grace is, is not only God's answer to salvation and forgiveness, but it is his powerful provision to live a life of holiness. His word, it says, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And he refers to his grace as empowerment. Um, and so the great thing about living a holy life is not something that you have to do on your own. It is something that is very attainable. It is something that we can actually do practically. God, the reason I know it, because God calls us to be holy. He tells us to be holy. He doesn't tell, if, if he told us to do that and it's like, okay, you're on your own, good luck, right? No, he gives us his spirit now to walk this out. Um, Peter refers to in 2 um, Peter 1, 2 to 3, says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, again, he's talking about his grace, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So again, Peter refers to God's grace as his divine power that gives us the ability to live godly, to live holy. And so um, you're not alone. And if you feel like maybe you're in that place right now where it's dark and you can't get out, where you feel like there's no room, there's no escape, maybe you've given up, God's grace will get you there. God's grace, you have to lean on his grace. Um, and to be set free, to be made whole. Um, and so I want to have Avery come back up. And um, I really just want to take some moments to really seek God together. And because um, I really feel like there's, there's going to be breakthrough here. I think part when it comes to our identity, I was telling you earlier, I was praying this morning. God reminded me of passage scripture in Revelation. And he's talking about um, how the accuser, which is the devil, has been thrown down. And this was a part of my story where this opened my eyes to, if we don't know who we are, we're going to be able to believe the enemy more than we're going to believe God and what his word says. And if we're struggling to believe who he's called us to be, it's going to open the door for you to be able to really listen to the enemy. Because he's going to come at you and he's going to try to accuse you. He's going to tell you you're not holy. He's going to tell you that you're not capable, that you're not able to do it. He's going to tell you you're too far gone. I'm telling you, let's read this. Man, this is so powerful, and I want you to hear this. This is Revelation 12, 10 through 12. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come in the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. So the enemy's up there trying to accuse us, right? This is what he says. He's been hurled down. He's been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He knows that he has lost. And when we understand that no more he, again, the enemy is going to try to accuse us, but he can't. His power has been taken away because now we, he sees the blood of Jesus. But if we leave the door open by not believing the word of God about what he says about us, we're going to let our flesh believe the enemy instead. And so we need to know who are we listening to. Who are we listening to? Because in those dark moments, I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's easy. It's easy to listen to the other voice rather than the Holy Spirit. It's easy, right, because that feeling is true. 
But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, he wants to meet you here. Holiness is, isn't a bad word, isn't something that is too far gone, but I believe it's actually a password. It's the way that enables you to open the door to God, open the door to hear his voice. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is why holiness is so important. We wanna see God. We wanna have intimate relationship with him. Holiness is the pathway to intimacy and you can experience nothing you can do now, but it's believing what God's called you to do and then walking out again, that behavior because of who you are. And so these next few minutes, we're gonna put um, some questions on the screen. I really just want you to hear the voice of God. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The first one is what makes it hard to believe that you are holy? And what are some lies that you are tempted to believe that says you are not holy? It's so important that we discover what these lies are and rebuke them and come to God, put him before him and let him tell you who he is. Let him speak promises to you. Let him share how he sees you. And the second one, just name the area of your life where you need his grace the most and pray that God would fill you with grace to overcome everything that hinders you from living in holiness. So he's taking the next few minutes in Jesus' name to speak to us. Thank you, God, that you called us to be holy and that we are holy because of you. We love you in Jesus' mighty name.